Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. Today's guest is Paula Thomas. Paula Thomas is the creator and host of Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast that is dedicated to loyalty marketing professionals. With over 134 episodes in only two years, she has established herself as a prominent voice in the loyalty marketing industry. In addition to over 20 years of experience delivering tangible results for some of the world's largest brands such as O2, Avios, and The Entertainer Group. During this episode, we discuss what loyalty marketing is and the mindset behind it. We talk about how the industry has evolved and what the future looks like, and the rise of podcasting for brands and why the power of the voice has become so important to engage with your audience. And the last message she wanted to share with everyone is to feel the fear and do it anyway, and there's never been a better time to start a podcast. Please welcome to the show, Miss Paula Thomas. Thanks, Carla. Delighted to be with you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. So for the people who don't know Paula, me and you actually got connected through one of the pre- my previous guests that I had on the podcast, uh, Mr. Joe. So shout out yes. to Joe if you're listening to this. Thank you so much for introducing us. And yes. he really spoke highly of you and me and you had a quick you know, intro call as well. And I thought the work you do in loyalty marketing, you have so much experience in that field. And that's something we've never discussed on the podcast too. So I thought it'd be a nice, uh, a, a great subject to talk about. And you also have a podcast, guys. It's called Let's Talk Loyalty which is specifically all about loyalty marketing and so on uh, catered mm. to marketing professionals so I thought for today we'd dive into you know loyalty marketing your experience with the podcast and and a lot more but before we get into everything Paula why don't you give all of us a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, listen, thanks again. Uh, certainly Joe promised me that he would listen. So uh, hopefully he's super happy. Um, so that's really great. And uh, it's always really nice to be connected through a mutual friend. So um, so that's been uh, been super nice. So um, in terms of who I am, I guess I'm Irish by nationality. Um, I won't give my age away, but uh, I've lived in Dubai a total of 10 years, let's say. Um, but actually with, um, with a break in between. So I come from Ireland and I came to Dubai and then went back to Ireland and actually just moved back here in 2017. So so I love living here, Khaled. I'm sure you do too. Um, professionally, I have always worked in what I would like to think of, I guess, as really interesting and innovative things. So so I like to be intellectually, I suppose, stimulated in work. Um, so I tend to find after two or three years, normally I get bored in a maybe in a corporate role. So I'm always looking to do something that's quite different. Um, but I suppose how I got to where I am, uh, certainly in the last recession, it's really interesting. Um, I ended up going into a very big telecoms company in Ireland to really, I suppose, um, professionalize their loyalty program and run it for them um, at a whole other level of efficiency because they weren't doing well. And I fell in love with the loyalty industry. I've been doing that now exclusively as a focus for 15 years. And then three years ago, I started uh, creating content, both in article form and writing a book and also creating my podcast two years ago. So yeah, so really quite specialized and quite niche. Um, so living in Dubai, but obviously it's a, it's a big world out there. So I uh, tend to see myself as a global citizen. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for giving us that background. I always like hearing, you know, my guest story and how they ended up in Dubai. And I'm sure your story, like many other people, a lot of people come here, they think we're going to stay here just for a little bit of time. They might go away, but everyone always <laughs> seems to end up back here. But you can't blame them. It, it really is a great place to live. We're very um, lucky. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I thought we'd start, Paula, if you could just explain to all the listeners what is loyalty marketing exactly and where did it start and and we'll let's pick it up from there 
For sure, yeah. It's a great question, Khaled, because um, the, there's a couple of distinctions that I make just because I'm supposed I'm in the industry. So loyalty marketing in the form that we'll talk about it today, the most direct and obvious form, probably started about 40 years ago. And okay. the reason it was started was it was in the airline industry predominantly. Um, and essentially at that point, what was happening is most customers or passengers, let's say, were booking their travel through an agent. So there was a disconnect between the uh, the person who was traveling and maybe the airline or the hotel who was going to be looking after them. So there was no direct customer relationship. And I suppose because of the potential to, to find who are the most profitable passengers to focus on, airlines decided to launch these loyalty programs where they could capture the data for who was traveling and reward people. So using, I suppose, the most common currency would be points. So when people talk about loyalty programs now, they normally talk about a points-based program. So here in Dubai, the best example is obviously um, either, you know, Skywards from Emirates or the Etihad guest program. Um, so they're both extraordinary loyalty programs. There's a little bit of history before that, which is all around things like, let's say, stamp cards. So some people might have heard the concept of Green Shield stamps. So, so there is a different format for, for doing loyalty. Um, it's still used actually to this day, that format, but I tend to think it's more like pro uh, points and sometimes prizes as well, Khaled, because we started to explore different mechanics around things like gamification and stuff as well. So there's lots of ways to engage people and to reward them. And I suppose the ultimate principle from a business perspective is, first of all, to identify the top 20% really of your customers. So I think everybody's familiar with the Pareto principle and the idea that 80% of your revenue will come from 20% of your customers. So, so really they're the ones you never want to lose. So our job as loyalty marketers is to find them, to mine them, to nurture them and, and everything we can do to, to make them feel loyalty. Um, and I suppose it has evolved a lot. We'll probably talk a little bit more about this, but I suppose it started off in quite a transactional way. So if you do this, you'll get that. So let's say you, you know, buy 10 coffees, you get one free, that type of uh, value exchange, let's say. But it's definitely grown a lot more. So um, the industry is growing to talk more about things like emotional loyalty. So it's a different mindset. It's a different way of doing business where I think there's more integrity from, from the brands where they're genuinely trying to look after their customers and again, build what we call the customer's lifetime value. So um, it's obviously much more expensive to keep going out and, and creating a pipeline of new customers. So if we can keep the ones we've got, I don't need to preach to you, uh, Khaled. I'm sure you yeah. absolutely know as an entrepreneur, the importance of keeping your customer base. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's really interesting. I never knew that the, I guess, the concept of this goes uh, so far back. I thought it was only recently, you know, in the last like maybe 20 years that it really picked up. But like you said, I guess yeah. the simple, I'm not surprised that airlines started with that because it's, you know, that whole the air miles thing. So that's kind of one thing of how, you know, fly with us. We'll give you something at the same side. But like you said, it, mm. and his, historically, and it seems till now, points and transaction is still quite a big thing. But there is, like you said, a shift from... Uh, yeah. more transactional to more emotional and more lifetime value value of a customer. So I'm curious. So you've been in the field for, for quite some time. So mm -hmm. how ha what has how has the field evolved in that time? Like when you first started loyalty marketing, what were like, I guess, the, yeah. the best practices that people were doing at the time? And how have you seen that evolve? And where we where do you think mm -hmm. we're going now? 
Um, it's a great question. Um, when I started, I suppose, I didn't even start on a very uh, typical model. So because it was for a telecoms company, um, we didn't use points. So unlike the airlines and unlike the hotels, we had a different idea, which was how can we give value to our customers um, in a different way that gives us a, a unique selling point? Because that was our objective is we need, you know, with phone networks, Khaled, it's very easy to say, well, you know, what's the difference between do and Etisalat, for example, in this market? So for us in Ireland, we had the same problem. It's perceived as the same type of service. So I was brought in actually to go out and negotiate with all of the most um, aspirational retailers in Ireland and to ask them for an exclusive offer, a particular discount, which we would give exclusively to customers of O2, which was the company at the time. So if you were an O2 customer, you might be able to get two for one pizza offers, maybe like the entertainer, actually. Um, there you go, or, yeah. <laughs> so, so it was that type of partnership model. Um, and to answer your question, that is something that really has become extremely popular. So, so when you ask about, you know, where did we come from and where are we going? I was lucky enough to be brought into something that was probably ahead of its time. Um, so there's definitely more and more partnerships where non-competing brands do see the opportunity to say, well, if somebody else is serving the customer that I want to serve, um, can we all benefit? So, you know, it has to be a three-way benefit. You know, you can't say, well, look, I'll ask the retailer for a discount and, you know, I'm not going to support them in any way. We definitely did market and promote that brand to our huge customer base for free. Um, so we were driving customers in to actually, you know, avail of that offer. So so I love the win-win-win model. Um, I suppose a couple of the other obvious ones that you might guess is, you know, historically we would have had plastic cards as the identifier where you had to swipe something. Um, obviously, everything's gone digital. Um, but I think as time goes on as well, so I think what, what used to happen is customers would complain about having a, a wallet stuffed with loyalty cards. Um, I think now what people are saying is, oh, I have too many apps. <laughs> so you can't assume just because you build a loyalty program and digital that people will also um, connect with it there. So so there's lots of change happening, I suppose, like any dynamic industry. Um, I think the probably the biggest thing from a business perspective is the commercial accountability. Um, so for me, you know, marketing can be seen as a very expensive, um, sometimes people would even say some of it would be seen as wasted money. It's very hard to quantify, particularly in my mind, brand marketing. So I don't know how people justify TV spend, for example, or, you know, sponsoring the Olympics. I mean, they're, they're gorgeous things to do, but that would come with a huge price tag. What I love about loyalty um, is it's it's very commercial. Um, again, you can see what happens and actually it's really accentuated at a time like this. So the pandemic has been an extraordinary time. Every loyalty marketer that I've talked to on my podcast has said that the power of their loyalty program at this time of you know crisis, let's be honest, has been you know, even more valuable as a customer base and even stickier to the business. So whereas less engaged or less loyal customers might have left, their loyal customers have stayed in a much more powerful way. So so I suppose the big thing is it's a commercial form of marketing. We can measure it, we can um, uh, tailor it, and we can drive profitable behavior. So it's super exciting. Yeah, for sure. No, it sounds very exciting. And I like how you were uh, describing when you like we work with brands, for example, when you were at O2 that will assign, will promote and market your your brand for free, but yeah. we'll give, you know, a speci special discount to those customers. So like you said, it seems the focus seems to be about 
purely identifying who are who are my true customers who is that what is that 20 percent? because like yeah. and i remember in your podcast with lisa actually it was interesting when she used the uh the, i think it was emirates or Etihad. i'm not sure and even despite there being no one being able to fly they had the highest engagement rate through their loyalty program and that blew my mind because yeah it, it is a shift from that transactional to this emotional side because there's no yes. transactioning happening in that case i can't fly but i'm still <laughs> you, you know you're still getting engaged totally you're still getting all that so i thought that was really yeah. really interesting and in terms of so you, loyalty marketing from what i understood from you the nice thing is you can measure it you can tailor it you can get you can gather great data about your customers so i'm curious for you because you mentioned a good point that when you I guess they're spending on a TV ad and so on. It's mm. a huge cost and you don't know, mm. you, you don't really know how that affects your like end customer or that the end user yeah. that you're going for. So from a mindset perspective, how does loyalty marketing, for example, differ from another like form of marketing, like brand marketing, for example? Is it a mindset? Is it completely different strategy? Could you walk us through what some of the differences are? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I suppose the first uh, key point is the the insights. So um, the value exchange, when you ask somebody to, to join a loyalty program, the first thing that you'll do is, is start to ask them to understand a profile. Now, there's different schools of thoughts on this one, Khaled, whether, you know, you ask somebody, I looked at a program last week, for example, that had 18 fields of data that they were asking me to fill in, in order to join the program. I tend to find that people are kind of running out of patience and don't really want to give that much data, especially up front. So, so I think um, for me, I prefer a concept called progressive profiling. So what okay. I would like to do is say, what's Khaled's mobile number and his first name? So I can reach you and I can reach you by, by name. So we would build that data over time. So what we might then do is add, you know, what's your date of birth? So, you know, what gender are you? And what have you shown interest in in the past? And we'll start to understand what is relevant for you to show you, you know, relevant content and relevant offers. Um, So it really is something that's intended to be of value to the customer, not just a value to the brand. And I think that's often a point of misunderstanding because I think we have almost been a victim of our own success where loyalty programs successfully can change behavior. But actually, you know, the purpose is to be loyal to the customer, first of all. So, yes, they'll change their behavior, but they'll also feel good about it, you know. Um, one of my favorite examples, I often talk about this on my podcast, is uh, the date of birth. So, you know, every loyalty program at some point will ask you pretty much for your date of birth. And I often feel that they're asking for that purely so that they can segment me and put me into the, the, the appropriate category. But as a human being, I, you know, my date of birth is a very special day. So I want them to use that data. So every year when my birthday rolls around, I am I I watch and I wait (laughs) to see who's going to wish me a happy birthday and, you know, who's going to do it well. You know, so some people and we had a big uh, debate, I will call it on LinkedIn recently, where some marketeers would say, you know, is it worth sending a coupon to a customer, you know, to to, to get a special offer on their birthday? And I'm like, no, send them a present. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it happened here. And I'll, I'll give a, a, che- a name check out to Blue Rewards, which is quite a new loyalty program here in the UAE. But in fairness to them, on my birthday, they sent me a free coupon for coffee and a cake. 
in uh, Dubai Mall in, in one of their cafes. So I was really impressed. You know, it's not difficult. It's once a year. And that's that brand going, yep, yeah, it's Paula's birthday, her special day. It's our opportunity to demonstrate loyalty to her. So, and now here I am sharing that on air. So, so when you ask about, you know, what does loyalty do? You know, I, I do have actually an audience that listens to, to these kind of things. So, so I think they're doing super good work. So, so hopefully that's a good example. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's actually a great example because it's the, I think the thing behind loyalty and correct me if I'm wrong is how can I show my customers that they are appreciated, that they are valued, that, yes. and, but I think there's also maybe a, so this was the question I wanted to ask you next, actually, when it comes to creating a loyalty program, each, you know, industry is different and mm. depending on the industry, uh, depends on what you can offer your, your, uh, your, your customers. So when you're thinking of a loyalty program what how do you start thinking about okay what can i offer the customer that is going to mm -hmm. make them feel valued make them feel appreciated that is also because i'm sure with that is going to mm -hmm. come a certain cost to, to yourself totally because you know, if it's yeah. if it's a coupon or it's a coffee or whatever the case might be so yeah. how do you start i guess identifying like from a cost from a financial perspective what can we do what yeah maybe it might cost a lot but might get us you know they might yeah. really, you know, appreciate that. Sure, sure. So, um, so I guess the whole financial aspect of loyalty programs um, is extraordinarily complex um, and extremely important to get right. So what we would typically say, so let's, let's use the example of a points program. So what we would do is we would structure a points program based on, um, you know, a simple currency that first of all does apply to absolutely everyone. So everybody okay. has some reason to join the program. Um, and then, for example, what we would probably do is build tiers. So most people will be familiar with silver cards and gold cards. But what that enables you to do then is uh, to say, well, look, if you reach silver card status, you'll actually get double points. Or if you reach gold card status, you get triple points. So what that allows you to do is focus your spend on the people that matter the most. So when you ask about how do I, you know, not literally give away the kitchen sink, the whole point is, well, look, if Khaled is worth 10 times more than Paula to my business, then his rewards should be 10 times more. So, you know, it has to all be relevant and reciprocal. So it really, and so there's an entire financial model that will be built to say, okay, how much do I want to invest in retaining this customer? You know, if you think about, again, the cost of replacing Khaled as a valuable customer, you know, the acquisition cost and finding somebody else of a, you know, a very high value, that's a super expensive alternative. So it is the retention cost um, has to be very carefully managed, but um, definitely is worthwhile. So, so again, back to the point about um, loyalty marketing being a very commercial element, we, we do run, you know, return on investment analysis to see, is this loyalty program working? And actually my own uh, podcast that's going out on Thursday is exactly talking about this. So many loyalty programs, maybe a few years down the track, they're kind of starting to question, is this working? Is it working as well as it can work? And sometimes they'll bring in external consultants like me or, or some of my colleagues around the world to take an external expert perspective to evaluate that loyalty program and really see across the, the whole customer journey. Because I think, um, I think sometimes it can become, you know, where a brand might sometimes get bored with its own marketing. And often loyalty programs go through this cycle of, you know, when it's the new, um, you know, solution 
television and a new amazing campaign that maybe is outdoor and maybe on TV, then everyone's excited in the company. But, you know, 12 months later, it might be somebody just in the corner who's sitting sending out emails to that database. So, so that's not a well-nurtured loyalty program. So there's definitely um, a huge amount of expert knowledge, in fact. So I think it's only in the last couple of years that people have realized how specialized this field has become. And I'll give you a really important uh, piece that probably was the first time I realized how, how commercially powerful it was. Um, I was at a loyalty conference very early in my loyalty career, and there was a conversation that down in Australia, and um, the Qantas loyalty program, um, the, the amount of money they make from selling points for that program, so selling them to banks or, or to other partners, they make more money selling loyalty points than they do from all of their international flights. So wow. <laughs> they're not oh, in the wow. airline business. They're in the, they're in the points. They're in the loyalty business. Wow. So that, that blew my mind. I went, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's just extraordinary. So, so, and that's obviously what every airline kind of sees now. So, so increasingly, again, I suppose another trend is that the loyalty programs are becoming profit centers rather than historically a cost center. Now they're moving out and they're being given the freedom to leverage the asset, which is, you know, permission to market to people, which I don't know how into digital you are. I think you probably do know this kind of stuff, but things like cookies, for example, that many clients would have used, um, for, you know, ever since the internet came around, they're being discontinued in 2022. Google is discontinuing support for cookies. So there will be no third-party data. So loyalty marketeers and first-party data, direct relationships with your customers are absolutely critical. So yeah, super important. Yeah, wow. That that's that statistic just that blew my mind. I can't I can't even imagine they must do like millions of flights a year. That's insane. That yeah, yeah. They yeah. make more money through that. But like speaking to you, like I never knew how, like I guess how a Lloyd's program could work because, in, like when you say like all partners, like with banks, you know how with Emirates MBD, for example, you can get like Skywards miles and all that kind yes. of stuff. So it's yeah. a whole nother revenue channel that I never even knew about before, or even considered. But that's very true. And coming back to yeah. your point on the financial model, I think it makes a lot more sense now that there's a tier and it depends on you know how valuable is this customer to me mm. will dictate how much i should be willing to spend on retaining that customer or you know delivering more value to that customer so exactly. on that on that point i know you have a lot of experience um as a, when it comes to customer acquisition and retention so i know mm. this is a very it's a very heated topic people have different points of view but in your experience what would you say is more challenging to acquire a customer or to retain them in the long term? Oh, um, I mean, do you know, I mean, they are both extremely challenging, Khaled. I, I don't like sitting on the fence, but um, they're completely different marketing objectives. You know, okay. I mean, um, you know, if you're a cafe, for example, or an undifferentiated business, you know, and that's really where loyalty comes to the fore. Like, you know, you don't see loyalty programs, for example, when the product is is the world's best. And I always quote Apple as, as the example in that one. Apple doesn't have a consumer loyalty program. Um, you know, there are other amazing technology companies out there, but Apple has a loyal customer base 
just because the customer experience in the product is exceptional. So for Apple to acquire customers, they put all of their investment into research and development and extraordinary experiences. And definitely experiences is something that drives loyalty as well. So, so I think customer acquisition for Apple um, in 2021 doesn't sound like something that's difficult to do or even, to be honest, retention. I think they're still the most valuable company um, in the world. Um, whereas if I was, um, you know, let's say, I don't know, Huawei, for example, you know, I'm sure both acquisition and retention is extremely difficult because they're competing with, with the apples of the world. So, um, so I think they're very different. Um, I think because of the point I just mentioned about cookies, I think acquisition will become even harder. So mm. um, that's definitely something where you can't follow people around the internet anymore. I'll be very glad because <laughs> I don't <laughs> like being followed around the internet. Um, so yeah, so, and, and retention to, to, to your point, it's actually a mindset. Like, I don't think customer retention is difficult if you decide to retain those customers. If you, you know, and again, this is something lots of big companies are guilty of. And there's a whole term actually, because what's happening is sometimes big utilities will go out and discount for new customers um, and give them cheaper prices, let's say for three months or six months to get them in because they're trying to calculate the customer's lifetime value, but loyal customers are paying more. So in the UK, for example, there is a class action lawsuit being brought against these companies because they're saying this is actually, this needs to be made illegal. So I don't know how far it's at in terms of, I know it hasn't been made law as yet, but this is just my point about the mindset of loyalty, because I always do think it's important to distinguish between the mindset of loyalty and the mechanics of loyalty. So we've been talking about the mechanics and the points and all of that, but the mindset is really the fundamental. Um, and it's definitely something that I think, you know, when there's a recession. So, so to my point earlier, I got into loyalty just after the last big global recession. So 2008, 2009, I started in 2010. And again, right now, it is a counter cyclical industry. So in this current pandemic, the, um, the demand for loyalty programs, for um, uh, optimizing loyalty programs, for new loyalty technologies, new loyalty ideas is out the door. We are swamped with work because mm. when there are f fewer customers available, you know, everybody's fighting to kind of really take care of them and, and tell them how valuable they are and how much they appreciate your business. Yeah, that's that's actually a very good point they mentioned that I didn't know about that there's a there's a very key differentiation between mindset and yeah. mechanics of, of yeah. loyalty and how uh, that's really interesting that I didn't know that there was about this the the lawsuit that you mentioned but it makes yeah. it, it does make a lot of sense if you know mm -hmm. I'm giving all these new customers such a discount but if I've been your customer for five years now yeah. I'm the one who has to pay that extra 30 percent or so on so it doesn't that's really it doesn't really fair. make sense to me yeah exactly yeah. exactly it's not fair yeah. I've been here for much longer why should he get the discount <laughs> yeah exactly so that, that's, but it's, it's really interesting sorry please go ahead Yes, no, I was just going to make the point. So the reason I didn't call my, my podcast Let's Talk Loyalty Programs was to give me the permission to talk about, you know, how do I create the emotion of loyalty as an outcome? And um, amazingly still to me, my most listened to show, the topic that I discussed was the topic of simplicity. Because I think what happens in many businesses is that we confuse customers. And then they, they, they just can't even be loyal because they're just like going, oh my God, there's just too much going on with those guys. 
guys. So um, so I really think that that's an important principle and and one that everyone can kind of go, yeah, actually, I, I, know, I know how Google works and it's super simple. And Netflix, that's super simple. And they've made a direct correlation, for example, between companies with a simple value proposition and their company's valuation. So mm. I think that's an important point. So yeah, it's definitely not all about the mechanics. That comes almost later. Gotcha. So it all starts with the mindset, mindset. is you know, the key. And then the mechanics are just the structures, yeah. the tools, the strategies that you put in place to facilitate that mind, the correct mindset that you should have. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. One of my guests put a really nice term on it as well, Khaled. He called it the founder's mindset. So um, I really think that people who found companies, and again, you're the entrepreneur as well, you know what it's like and how well you will take care of your customers, maybe versus somebody who's an employee. It's a different relationship with customers. So I think that founder's mindset inherently brings more attention to how can I retain these customers? How can I take care of them with all of the integrity that I have? And uh, and it works, and, and customers feel it. Absolutely, no, absolutely, and I think that's a very good point as well about when it's an employee versus. I love how he put it, the found, a founder's mindset, because you, as the founder, it's not just your business; it's your reputation, it's your credibility. Like you have to take yeah. full ownership and liability on to all these things. So you better make sure you're taking care of your clients because you won't have a business for long if you don't. Yeah. Um, and on the concept of emotional loyalty, because I've you've. Uh, touched on mm. it a couple of times. So mm. when you and Lisa were speaking, one thing that I didn't even consider, but listening to you guys talk, I'm like, actually, that's very true, which was the power of the voice. Now, yes. you've been, now we're going to come onto the podcast in a moment, but yeah. why has, why do you think the power of voice has become so, such a bit, it's like the next big thing, you know, before it was like, you know, just, I think yeah. different kinds of content, but now the voice and like podcasts and things like, clubhouse and so on it's you guys are saying that you're able to convey more emotion to your customers or to your users and so on so in your experience now you've been running a podcast have you found that to be true have you uh is it or is there still more to go what would you say about that so i would say podcasting is the single most powerful thing i have ever done it has totally blown my mind um Because I think a lot of people start podcasts, there's so many reasons. For me, um, I wanted to do something innovative. So that was partly um, my motivation. Um, I also found that loyalty marketing is so complicated to me. Um, even with everything I've learned over over 15 years or whatever, I, I still feel I have more questions than answers. So I knew a podcast would give me opportunities like this to have intelligent conversations with people who are running these businesses and running these loyalty programs. So, so it was my intellectual curiosity that I referred to earlier. But you know, there's the brand building piece and positioning and all of those kind of things. But really, I I really have been convinced by the uh, power of the authenticity of the human voice. And Mm. perhaps the pandemic has done a slight disservice to, um, let's say, video marketing, which I think video marketing exploded maybe three years ago in my mind. So, you know, as a communications, let's say as a brand, we've we've been sending emails for a long time. We've been sending um, images in our emails or in lots of different channels. And then I think video, in, you know, embedded in, in lots of different ways or YouTube, for example, that's all been very well done. 
But I think when somebody, whether it's a brand or an individual, shows up consistently to be of service, which certainly is my intention for my show, people will hear that and they'll see it because I've never missed a show. You know, I've never not recorded and released and there's been sleepless nights and everything that goes with that. But what I have certainly felt is, um, you know, certainly my profile has grown, um, but also the trust in my opinion, you know, um, as I said, so I still have more questions than answers, but somehow um, because I'm still asking all of the right questions, people definitely trust me more. And I had a great, um, you know, case study as well when I was talking to a guest on my show a few weeks ago, and it's an Australian brand and it's a beauty brand. And to my mind, beauty, you know, is very much associated with YouTube. So there's makeup tutorials and, and there's lots of, you know, influencers, let's say, that have built huge businesses and huge audiences. But actually, when I spoke to this company, they're called Adore Beauty, beautiful brand, as you might expect. And they're a public company, actually. So they're the biggest pure play e-commerce beauty retailer in Australia. But their marketing is done in podcast form. So for something that's um, inherently visual um, and educational. So I'll, I'll say it's, it's also educational. So they do a lot with skincare, but they've had two and a half million podcast downloads for a beauty brand. Wow. Um, so it's incredible. And I don't know about you, but when I meet people who have listened to my podcast, I can see that they feel closer to me than I do to them initially. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they feel they know me <laughs> and I'm like Absolutely. going, actually you've experienced this i guess yeah 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 for sure it's amazing it's amazing and you know in, in its simplest form you know the human voice i think we've been talking something like i don't know 800,000 years or something since you know voice and, and language uh, developed so we just inherently understand it we understand the nuance and i even think of my own behavior just on a human level like if i if i feel there's confusion with somebody let's say you're having a whatsapp conversation just to have a simple example and let's say i think oh either i've upset them or they might be about to upset me i'll always pick up the phone and have a conversation or send a voice note because i feel like um the text is is not strong enough to convey uh, you know, the nuance of what I need and I can't risk, you know, any relationship being damaged. So I will go to my voice to, um, to make, to repair and strengthen the relationship. And I think everybody inherently knows that. Um, sometimes I will do videos. So if it's a birthday, I'll maybe do a cheesy, you know, singing or whatever. But again, I think we've all had, um, you know, plenty of video time or, you know, screen time, let's say during COVID. So, so that will definitely continue to grow. But I think voice, to your point, is something that brands haven't yet tapped into. So I think the news channels have tapped into it. I think personalities have tapped into it. And um, so we all know the Joe Rogans and Tim Ferrisses of the world. But I think if I'm a brand, and I was really thinking about this, if I was... If I was an airline right now, and yes, they have their loyalty programs and whatever, the one thing I'd be doing is I'd be, I'd be interviewing people about the amazing places that they've been on holidays, that they want to go on holidays. So uh, back to our friend Joe, you know, Joe often says, you're in the car with me today. So I'm like, okay, great. Oh. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so why isn't Emirates Holidays in the car with me, for example, in audio mm. form? So I think a lot of people are jaded from listening to, you know, um, news or, or difficult conversations or things on the, the radio that might be overly commercial. Um, so they want to listen to learn and they want to listen to be inspired. And the voice is the perfect tool for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many points to touch on. Uh, number one, <laughs> 
I'm exactly like you when it comes to uh, WhatsApp. If if I'm if we're gonna have a, if we're discussing yeah. something on message and it's a serious yeah. topic, I'm like, listen, I'm yeah. not having this discussion on WhatsApp either. It's a face to face or min uh, minimum. minimum. We're gonna, I'm gonna have a call and we're totally. gonna talk about this because exactly. yeah. so much gets lost in the subtext. And like you said, yeah. you, the voice. I could if I wrote you something and said it in the yeah. same way. It's, you're gonna feel completely different about it. Exactly. So, I totally, totally agree with you. And on the point about how brands haven't tapped into it, what I love about podcasting, at least for me, it's yeah. kind of like what Joe said. Like you feel like you're like a fly on the wall on someone's, you know, conversation. And you're just sitting sure. and like listening, and it's yeah. interesting, and yes. it's not intrusive. I think that is the key. It's not intrusive. Yes. I'm not. Yeah. Yes, I'm. I. Okay. Even if I'm a brand, I don't need to necessarily be talking about my products in the podcast you exactly. if i have if i create good content and you are a customer enjoy. of mine you're going to yeah. enjoy the podcast and it's going to inspire yeah. or motivate you to go purchase more of my products yeah so yeah i think i think podcasting is huge i think yeah. like you said there's an there's not you know there's a couple there's not going to be enough you know joe rogan's and stuff in the world uh, and they're going to be quite limited probably with those uh, to be on that level sure to just talk about it which is fine yeah, um, yeah but one thing i remember from our last conversation that you said um because you started your podcast with the intention to launch it as a business which i think is really interesting and and, and i think that's what a lot of companies and brands do they see it as another channel yes. you know to for branding and for marketing so I, for example, started my podcast, not as a business, it just started a podcast yeah, for, you yeah. know, for the, for, cause I was passionate about it and so on. So, yeah, but like you said, I think what you do, which is really interesting. It's super niche to what you do. And yeah. like you said, it has built your credibility, your mm. opinion now, you know, matters more. You're getting access mm. to bigger yeah. players and bigger conversations in with people in the space. So what yeah. advice would you have to people who are looking to launch a podcast with the intent of it being a business? What are yes. the things that they need to like keep in mind? What would you say? Well, the the first one is is um, it won't be news to you, and I've al already alluded to it. But the first thing is to be consistent. So when I started the podcast with the intention of of building it as a business, I realized how much focus and effort I put in for for clients that I'm working on projects for. So if I am being paid to be, to consult on a loyalty program, then I know how hard I work. So I said, okay, even though I'm not initially going to be getting paid, I need to uh, deliver the product exactly as if I was already being paid. So mm. I need to be consistent. I need to be authentic. I need to be professional. And um, so the content has to be super clear in terms of who it's for, who it's not for, and also just clear policies, you know, because it's amazing. And you'll have this as well, I'm sure, where you get pitched by, you know, um, you know, software companies or whatever and want to come on the show for PR. And I'm like mm. going, well, actually, no, my policy is this is a business. So therefore, if you're supplying my industry, then it's a paid um, arrangement. You'll sponsor it. You'll get a 30 percent, uh, sorry, 30 second ad slot. And then we'll talk to one of your executives as editorial content. But it's really important to me that I don't just, you know, have lots of vendors on the show talking about features and products and technology. I'm here to share learnings and lessons from the brands themselves. Hmm. So, so there's always the advice about 
be consistent. So that's absolutely guaranteed. You can't, you know, ship a show this week and not next week and expect somebody to say, well, if I sponsor it, are you going to ship a show or not? You know, um, and yeah. so you have to build that trust in advance like any company. So um, so definitely that took time. Um, and yeah, I think just be clear who needs to um, to get to your audience. So for me, I know the loyalty technology companies and they want the attention of loyalty brand managers. So I was like, okay, well, there's two people who need each other, you know? So again, if I'm running a loyalty program, I want to know who the loyalty technologies are. So again, the guest content is relevant. So yeah, it's really just finding the opportunity and, and making sure that uh, you talk to both. Yeah, and I think you made a great point about number one, consistency, I think is super, super important because yeah. that's how you build your credibility in anything that you're doing. You know, sure. you show up yeah. and you've yeah. done it for, I believe, a hundred something episodes, which even yes. puts me to like shame. So like I'm oh. a huge, I highly respect that. I know Thank how you. much work it takes. So I, I really respect that. Um, Thank you. And I like, really like what you said that if I'm treating this as a business, then I need to yeah. I give it the attention and effort and quality whether I'm getting paid or whether I'm not because how exactly. eventually yeah. when I do get paid yeah I'm going to need to show that this is why you should this is why you totally. should pay me because yeah. my work is it. such a high quality right You've got to earn it. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's like every any company, Khaled. Like, I think, you know, it's really interesting to me because, again, I know plenty of people podcast to be of service, which I know you're doing, or, or just to have fun. I mean, there's lots of reasons to do it. You don't have to build it as a business, but I don't think you can build it as a hobby and expect it to become a business um, at the same time because it's so hard to build the audience, you know, and I don't need to tell you this. That's yeah. where most of the hard work comes. Yes, we show up, we record we edit we publish and then the hard work starts so <laughs> you know yeah, exactly yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and I'm uh, so I'm curious uh in because you've been doing it for a while now how has and I'm sure like and you've been doing it on a weekly basis so like it's mm. you know, there's a quick yeah. turnaround yeah I'm sure when you first started compared to like for example let's say your most recent episode mm. in terms of how you interview your research and all that everything must have changed so what would you say for you what have you learned I guess in the mm. pa and throughout this podcast experience what is the biggest learning that you've taken away from this so far yeah, it's interesting because I went to two shows a week uh, a few months ago. So now yeah. I am Tuesdays and Thursdays, so uh, even more exhausted. But um, <laughs> but what I do like, I, I launched the second show in a different format. So what people do say sometimes to me is, uh, I really want to listen, but I don't have 45 minutes every week, um, which I totally get because there's very few podcasts I listen. In fact, I don't listen to anything on a weekly basis. Um, so what I did was I went back to the beginning and I'm re-listening to all of my shows and, um, and getting this kind of insight, which is exactly your question. And I'm summarizing them into a five-minute version. So mm. I did it recently with Emirates Skywards, for example. And I learned as much the second time around when I listened that I'd totally forgotten. You know, we'd had such insights in the conversation. So, so I'm relearning the second time around. But from a skills point of view, what I would say is I'm less nervous about, um, about silence, and I don't know <laughs> if you have that. So when I listen back to the original shows, I, I didn't allow the conversation to flow. I would mm. ask the question and let them answer. And then I'd ask another question. Yeah. But I, there was very rarely a case of, you know, if they answer the question that I would build on it or I would um, challenge it or I would, um, you know, anything, respond to build the conversation. Whereas now 
I'm much more confident and I, I've learned how the tone of voice, you know, I can signal to my guest that actually I want to keep on this topic, um, you know, to kind of see, let's see where this goes. Because you know yourself, it's not about having, you know, a, a strict set of questions. I prefer to follow what interests me. And um, yeah, that has, um, that has been a learning. Still scary. I'm not going to say it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? No, <laughs> no. It's, yeah, it's, performance yeah. anxiety is still there. It always is. Every always time. Is. Totally. And, <laughs> and the thing is, and it, it's funny because it's, yes, that you get better over time and your skill develops, but mm. it's performance anxiety every time because it's a new person every time. And of course. everyone's com completely different. Everyone uh, has a yeah. different sense of humor. Everyone has a different way that they speak. Everyone, it's so yeah. one for me personally, similar to you, I remember one of the pieces of feedback I got very early on was, uh, I kind of did what you would, what you did as well, which was question answer, question answer. I never built on the what the the guest said. We didn't dive into deeper. We didn't see what other tangents you know we could have yeah. went on. And that was a big wake up call to me because at the end of the day, this one I want this to be a conversation. The yeah. questions are there to guide. You know, totally. or there's one really good question that I want to ask, for example. For sure. Yes. As I said, I am the person with more questions than answers. So that's what we are there for. Um, but at the end of the day, I want my guest and I can feel that's exactly your intention. I want my guest to have a good time. So, <laughs> absolutely, you know, absolutely. like there's I, nothing nicer I, than at the end of a show when somebody says that was fun and they've never done it before. I'm like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> Another one converted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. World. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's always <laughs> funny uh, when you have a uh, a first time guest on the show, that one, someone who's never done like a pot, like been on a recording yeah. before. They're so yeah. nervous. They're like, did I sound okay? Did I? And it's I interesting yeah. that the, your guest wants to do as good a job as you are, which is weird because, you know, as a host, it's my responsibility. I have to guide the conversation, manage the questions, all that. But the guest, when you, I think when you put in the effort and the guest realizes that, they're yeah. also like, okay, wow, okay, I need to like, I want to yeah. put my best foot forward and, you know, make this conversation as engaging as possible as well. Have you found that sure. in your experience too? Oh, for sure. And I think because it's evergreen content as well. So so once it's published, you know, it's going to be there forever, you know. <laughs> so, um, so, so I definitely think every guest, I've never had the sense that somebody came on the show and wasn't fully present or fully committed. So that's definitely something which thank you to all of my, my guests, as you said, 114 shows so far. But I've always felt that, um, that they knew why I asked them. And I do a full briefing document, for example, like I I did it at the very beginning because, again, I am a marketeer and I know these are very busy people that I'm pitching to bring on the show. So I have like a four-page document which talks them through the intention of the show, the background of the show, the listenership, geographic and everything. So they're fully aware of who they're speaking to. Mm. So, again, I think they kind of really like that idea. But also everybody, I think, is inherently proud of, you know, I built this loyalty program and I learned all these things and, and I feel like I can be of service by sharing my story and I'm the person who facilitates that. So, exactly. um, so I think there is a shared objective there and I think they do feel that. Um, and then certainly with lots of people, they repurpose the content themselves, for example, they share it with their clients. Um, so they do get inherently an asset themselves where, you know, and again, obviously they have full control. Like if anybody ever said something they weren't happy with, obviously we delete it. 
Um, I always allow their co corporate communications teams to, to attend the interview or uh, approve it. So I'm well used to kind of long lead times, even with the, you know, added pressure it puts on my publishing schedule. But it's important that they have a really, really good experience because, again, it's my brand, as you said, my reputation. Absolutely. It's an extension. It's an extension of yourself. And at the end of the day, just like you, you know, if the guest has something that they're not comfortable with, you're yeah. the star of the show. This yeah. is your time. Like you said, I love how you said it. We we are here. Me and you are here to facilitate mm. this. Yeah. This is your platform. Yeah. You're the star. Yeah. If you yes. want to curse, you want to do this, you want to do that, whatever. This is your show. You can do it, you know, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good point as well, because again, my background before loyalty was kind of in the airline business. I worked for British Airways for about five years. And in, uh, in, in its home market, British Airways was having a really bad time with the media. So mm. there's a lot of nervousness. So when I reach out and say, you know, I'm, you know, a media person, whatever form, they're super scared that somebody's literally looking for blood, you know, that they're, we're looking sure. to find fault. But like you, I'm, I'm here to do something that helps. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're here exactly. to, to share a story. So, so I love the title yeah. of your show. I think it's gorgeous and Thank you. very reassuring. So yeah, no, well done. It's a lovely concept. Thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate the kind words. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's, I thought keep it simple. This is, it says, yeah. the title says what we're trying to do here. So I think lovely. it's uh, pretty self-explanatory. But coming back to the, um, so when you first started, because I think mm -hmm. this is something that anyone looking to start podcasts this is probably yes. one of the first questions that you have. And what I yeah. have to is like, yeah. okay, um, who am I going to yeah. talk to? You know, where do I, oh, where do I sure. start? What yeah. are the guests I should bring on? So I know you've been doing it for a while. Um, so is it, how did you start about find, picking, identifying what guests you wanted to have? I'm sure your network was a, a great place to start. But, and has that changed now as time has gone on? Are you more selective? Are there people maybe the... Uh, if in, in quotation marks, the A-list people that you've always dreamed, for example, of having on the podcast that now you're trying to go after, for example? There certainly are. Um, so I've had some some incredible guests already. Like I'm quite lucky. I worked in in sales, um, like you actually. Um, and yeah, and and it's a great skill. I think everybody, you know, if you can learn to sell, um, it will serve you. So so to me, you know, pitching for guests, I, I have to convince them again why this is good use of their time. And we're all extremely busy. So I would say, um, you know, I, I'll probably never get to the bottom of the wish list. Um, there, there's plenty on there, some high profile people that I'm hoping to come on. But to your point about like, where do you start? You know, I mean, I, I literally have been on LinkedIn. I wouldn't have had a global network, certainly, um, or at least not, let's say, a quality global network when I started um, yeah. and not with the right person. So I might have known somebody in the loyalty team, let's say, in American Airlines, but I want the vice president of loyalty. You know, I don't want somebody who's, you know, just kind of operational. So, um, yeah, so so there's a lot of, um, I suppose, test and learn, you know, just, you know, Again, I think the background briefing document really helps them understand that this is, you know, a very professionally run show. And um, again, it's a very positive show. Um, so I don't think much has changed. What I what I hope will change in the future, I just haven't got there yet, is that I might, you know, bring a show producer to take on mm. that work. Because I think what we both know is the amount of work involved with um, sourcing and managing the guests to get them as far as starting to record, that's a huge piece of work, um, which I definitely feel I could trust somebody, you know, if they have the right approach. And um, then, of course, my piece is the recording and publishing part and promoting and building the audience. Uh, but I also don't do the editing, which I know you do do for your show. Mm. 
Um, for me, I really, really found that very frustrating. So I pay a professional editor and I love it. So as soon as I record, I'm like, send him all the problems. He fixes it, <laughs> makes it sound beautiful. And then I just yeah. get to publish. So, so I focus on what I'm good at. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, that, that is the right move. And I, I think I've, I'm getting to the end of my um, editing patience <laughs> as well. I have a great it's, one. No problem. It, let me know. Yeah, Seriously. please. I, yeah, I might, I, might, I might actually take you up on that because yeah. like you said, I just want to, I want to focus on the part that I'm good at and that I enjoy. The sourcing, I don't really mind because I like having control. I like having control yeah. over who I pick because I do the research. I identify, I'm like, okay, this person might be interesting. But yes. if, if you have like a clientele, you could just, mm. you could just give it to your show producer and be like, okay, these are like yeah. the 10 to 20 guests we want to reach out to. Then yeah. they can, you know, take care of that and, you know, managing the communications and so on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's very true. Um, mm. And so you've been running the podcast now, Paula, for about almost, almost two years. We're getting there. We're getting to the two-year mark. 114 yeah. episodes. It's yeah. been, you know, incredibly successful. You've built a brand for yourself. And, you know, mm. you've had some incredible guests on the show. Yeah. For you, what, what is the future of Let's Talk Loyalty look like? What, what, would, you, what, do you, what would you like it to be? Um, it's, it's very interesting, Khaled. Um, and somebody also asked me this same question recently, and I don't yet know the answer because I'm interested in other things other than loyalty. So okay. part of me wonders whether I should be podcasting on some of the subjects that I know you're interested in, for example. So, so rapid transformational therapy, for example, hypnotherapy, lots of these ideas are things that fascinate me. And again, uh, with the idea that by, you know, by asking all the questions, you get much more insight and knowledge part of me wonders maybe i should you know explore that intellectual curiosity there um, from a loyalty perspective anything I, I do i want it to be innovative um, i've taken a consulting project actually at the moment which um i won't name um but it is it's, it's a very different type of consulting project because it's a product a supermarket product um okay. rather than a, a retailer so that's something that's uh, not really being done well so that's interesting but i really believe let's talk loyalty as a brand has um has in has huge value now so yeah. the community of people who listen and um, they really value it they, they get it straight away it's not a difficult name so probably the the obvious thing i should do um is maybe an, an ebook so lessons from let's talk loyalty i kind of feel like some you know a digital product that could be you know again evergreen content that i could perhaps commercialize separately uh, and become little a new business stream i feel like that might be the next thing for the podcast but yeah watch this space Watch the space, indeed. No, but I, yeah. I think that's a the ebook idea is fantastic, especially that it's your because your podcast is to that field. So the, yeah. the lessons in that for any loyalty marketeer are going to be like gold to them. You know, all the you've had so many guests and in the top companies, all those insights. You know, you they yeah. dream of talking to those people to get those insights. So if you put an ebook, I think that'd be actually a great idea. But okay. like you said, when you have um, more, um, there are other areas you're interested in, you know, as well. And, you know, you can always, I think over time, just add them on. Like when I think of my podcast, yes, I want to help. My goal is to help people 100%. But I'm also, I'm selfish in the sense that I'm curious. So like I, I want to learn. This is what I'm interested in. This is the person I want to talk to today. And yeah. if I'm interested, there's a good chance there's some other people out there that might be interested in that too. 
For sure. Yeah. And Seth Godin said it very well. So I'm sure plenty of your listeners will know Seth Godin. He's, you know, a marketing God to me. Yes, he is a genius. And I did his podcasting workshop, by the way, to learn to podcast. Um, And so that was super useful for me because I was starting from no technical knowledge, no content knowledge. So, so I do trust him. Um, But he convinced me, I suppose, of the idea. And he said exactly to your point, he said, it's kind of like being the host of the coolest, best party in town. So if you reach out to people and invite them, they will come because it's the coolest one in town. So yeah. absolutely, I, I, I'm exactly like you. It's, um, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah, it is. It really is. I, I love it. It's my passion. And clearly, I see that it's yours as well and that you really enjoy it. So I'm really excited to see where, where our journeys you know, end up in a couple of years. But uh, it's looking good. I'm pretty, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I think um, we'll do well. Yeah. I think we will. Uh, Paula, for my last two questions, these are questions that I ask all my guests. So okay. first yeah. one is, Looking back over, I guess, either your career or your personal life, you know, just looking back, what would you say you're most proud of for yourself? Um, well, my favorite piece of advice that I've seen and read and now taken is feel the fear and do it anyway. So that for me um, is, the, is what shifted. So I feel like only when I said, okay, I want to be creative, I want to be innovative, I want to have a global brand profile, how can I do that? I can launch a podcast. That is probably something I'm most proud of because as you said, we still have performance anxiety. There's still all of the, um, you know, uh, I suppose just complications and confusion and whatever, but I'm really proud that I do it. Um, yeah. And again, I feel like I earn respect. So, so definitely, I would say anybody who is listening and is debating whether to do something, you know, my advice is feel the fear and do it anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Indeed, I think uh, I really respect that. And I, that is, I think that's when you grow the most as a person. And that's when it's the most rewarding because, you know, like I was scared of that, but I did it anyway. And look yeah. at where I am now. So it's I'm, that's a great feeling. And I totally resonate with that. And I guess yeah. you kind of said it already, but maybe there's a different one. Uh, this is my last question. What is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today? Go start a podcast, honestly, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the time is now. (laughs) The time is now indeed. You heard it here first, guys. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, you have Paula's Paula's blessing. Go ahead and do it. Um, Paula, I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been so much fun and a fantastic conversation. I literally knew zero about loyalty marketing before we started talking. And now at least I have a, a reasonable understanding of it. So thank you so much for your expertise and so on. And before we round off, where can people find you uh, where, where, for the podcast or to, you know, to get in touch with you maybe for business or so on? For sure. Thank you, Khaled. Yes. Well, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So Paula Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. So quite easy to find. Um, And yeah, let's talk loyalty on all of the podcast channels, be it Apple or Spotify. And my own website is letstalkloyalty.com. LexaLoyalty.com. You're hitting here, guys. Make sure to check out Paula's podcast, especially if you're in the marketing field. I'm sure you'd love it. I listened to it and learned so much from it. And I have nothing to do with marketing. So definitely go check it out. Paula, this has been a fantastic conversation. Guys, please don't forget to listen to the podcast on Instagram, on uh, Spotify, all over the place. You know where to find me. And thank you so much, Paula. I had a great time. Thanks, Khaled. It was brilliant. Well done. Cheers. To everyone listening, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.